Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode number 107. And as always, the Red and White Authority is uh, presented by Labatt Blue. Hey, it's playoff time, which means it's always a good time for Labatt Blue. Enjoy the playoffs by having some cold, refreshing Labatt as you're watching your favorite team, Try to go for Lord Stanley's Cup. Unfortunately, it won't be the Red Wings this year, but very, very soon, I predict, the Red Wings will definitely be back in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And as always, enjoy Labatt Blue responsibly. That's a great premium beer. And let's bring in our guest, and no stranger to this podcast, actually, Former co-host of this podcast, Kevin Allen, Hockey Hall of Fame writer from USA Today. We're going to talk a little bit about the Wings, the draft lottery. We're doing this on Tuesday, April 9th. Uh, the draft lottery is tonight, but we're really going to hone in on the Stanley Cup playoffs and preview the first round series. But uh, let's bring Kevin in. Kevin, it's always great to have you. Thank you for doing this. Uh, my pleasure. Um, you know, as you said, uh uh, you know, I think it's going to be a great uh, playoff run. I, you know, I looked at the series, and I was talking with some guys, and, I, you know, other than Tampa Bay and Washington, I think every uh, team that's the uh, top seed, I think they're in danger of being upset. Like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if there's anywhere between, if, if you count the lower seed winning as an upset, I wouldn't be shocked there are four or five upsets in this first round. Well, I mean, it, the parity in this league is uncanny. I mean, how about being, you're the Montreal Canadiens, you have 96 points or whatever, yeah, and, and yeah, you're not you're, in. You're not even in, yeah. Right. You yeah, know. you've played well. I mean, the Coyotes played well at the right. end, and, and they, you know, they could not get in as well. And, uh, um, you know, the difference between the haves and the have-nots are, you know, two, three points. Uh, that's the way it is now, and... Uh, um, you know, it's an accomplishment to get in the postseason. Well, let's look. Tonight is the draft lottery. They moved it up about 19 days uh, because they wanted to, they thought it was getting lost in the hoopla of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And it was kind of weird, you know. Poor Dan Clary knew the results and had to sit in a room for two hours last year <laughs> because they, they, they kind of fed it to the public in between periods of a Stanley Cup game. This is going to be its own show. It's at 8 o'clock. I know most of you people who are probably going to listen to this this is why we're not going to spend much time on the lottery, but real quickly, it does seem that the top three picks are above everybody else, and the Red Wings can either pick seventh or they could pick first. They have a 9.5% chance of being, winning the lottery and then a 28.8% chance of being in the top three. But every time they've been in the lottery, they've fallen down. Two spots two years ago, one <laughs> spot last year. I don't know if luck's their way, but... Uh, do you like that they moved it up, the NHL? And do you think that, uh, uh, that uh, you know, the Red Wings, or is it like everybody thinks Jack Hughes is going to end up being a Colorado Avalanche? Well, I mean, historically that doesn't happen all the time. Um, I like that they moved it up. I think that kind of separates it. And, you know, the draft has become in the last few seasons very, very, very important. Like the fans are so into it now, like, uh, the lose for Hughes chant started in L.A. after about four or five games uh, this year. And uh, the Blackhawks were, when they started out slowly, everybody was uh, into it as well. And of course, in Detroit, it's been a big discussion. Um, you know, people are into it. I, you know, somewhere, and I think Toronto Maple Leafs have a lot to do with uh, this, uh, the uh, people now have two rooting interests. They either root for their team to you know, be, be a Stanley Cup contender, or if it doesn't start out well, then they want them to, to get in the tankathon. 
and uh, you know get in the in the in, with the opportunity to get one of the top picks because people see that as the only way um, to rebuild the team. And unfortunately, there's a visible example out there in the Edmonton Oilers that proves that doesn't always work. So. Well, right, the Red Wings have pointed it out, and you know, and, and they're not trying to, and, you know, they always kind of qualify this and say, but you're doing a great job and all that because they don't want to knock other organizations, but. They said, look at Buffalo. Buffalo's drafted very, very high, and they're still trying to find their way. So there's no exact science in it. Yet, from everything that I've heard, you know, the Red Wings could use a defenseman. Let's be honest. They'll, they're the first ones to tell you that, really. But this draft seems to be really high, has a lot of high-end talent forward-wise. Defense, not so much. Would you agree with that? For sure. Um, I don't see a defenseman you know, where they're going to pick that uh, they would want. I think they would tend to opt for the forward because they think the forwards are better. Um, I think the key for the Rowings is to get in the top three, as you mentioned. You know, there are three premium players, starting with Jack Hughes, the American, uh, that everybody is interested in, and all three of those guys, um, including the Russian, uh, who is picked to be third. And now uh, his name is escaping me. Pa- uh, uh, Vasily Podkolzin. That's right. But the the... the the rub against him is they think he's just as good um, as Jack Hughes or could be as good as Jack Hughes, but he's uh, under contract to his Russian team for, depending on who you believe, one year or two years. So it would be a while before he comes over here. But all three of those guys are, are supposed to be impact players, and I think if they could get in the top three, they'd be happy. But, you know, even in the four to ten range, there are players that, you know, will help this uh, organization. So I think the Red Wings are in. Pretty good shape. There's some American players, uh, Turcotte, uh, and obviously he has Michigan roots here. His uh, his dad, Alfie Turcotte, played in the NHL, and his grandfather was known as one of the great stick handling artists and teachers as well. He's a player that I think will be, if they were picked at seven, that would be there. Uh, and I think the Red Wings would be interested in him. He's a center. He's creative. He's fast. That seems to be what the Red Wings are looking for. So I, I think whatever happens, the Red Wings are going to get someone that's going to help them out of this uh, this draft. Now, uh, uh, you know, obviously, if they get number one, I, I would think that whomever gets number one, Hughes is going to go first overall, even though, but uh, uh, Capo Caco or Caco, uh, the, the, the Finn, he's playing professional hockey already in Finland. And, you know, the assumption is, is that out of the three, he may be most NHL ready. Well, I think him and Hughes are both ready, to be honest with you. Kako, because he's played against men, and he's drawn comparisons to Barkov. And uh, Barkov is a terrific player for Florida. and You know, he's a very complete player. And um, that's what we're hearing about uh, Kako as well, is, is that, you know, first of all, even though he's listed as a wing, most of the people I talk to believe he'll play center. Yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, and, he, you know, he's a, he's a bigger guy at 6'1 than Hughes. Um, but, you know, they think he's just going to be a competitive NHL top six forward, uh, either playing at center or the wing. So uh, I would think both uh, he and Hughes will be in the league next year. Do you uh, care to speculate? I always put you on the spot like a soothsayer here, Kevin, but who ends up with the number one pick? Who do you think yeah. is, you know, how do you think these balls are going to spin? Well, you know, I don't really have any idea, but, I, you know, I just said to my boss today, we were talking about t- tonight about, um, you know, if, if someone in near the bottom wins it, it's not quite as big a story as, say, the Philadelphia Flyers. Right. You know, or, or someone, you know, that barely missed the playoffs. You know, I think it would be a much bigger story. And I, I think that's 
maybe with what's going to happen. You know, there's been so much talk about lose for use, and I think it would be somewhat ironic if it ends up with a team that just barely missed the playoffs. Like, what if the Arizona Coyotes ended up with them? I think gauging from what the response I've heard from NHL fans, as long as the Edmonton Oilers don't get the number one pick, everyone will be happy. I I think that is true. I think everyone is weary of the Oilers getting these, uh, you know, top picks and then, you know, not being able to pull themselves together. I mean, it's almost criminal, if I can use that word, that Connor (laughs) McDavid, uh, you know, the the most talented player, uh, you know, he's not the most accomplished. Obviously, that's Sidney Crosby. The most talented player is Connor McDavid, and he's not in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, that, that team seems lost. Like, there's such a long way from being ready to compete in the NHL. And now, you know, they don't have a general manager. We don't know whether they've got a coach. And, you know, we don't even have any idea whether, and, you know, now even Connor McDavid is hurt, although it's not very serious. But, um, you know, so it's kind of sad for the league, and I think everyone hopes that they kind of get that turned around because you want Connor McDavid in the playoffs. Well, certainly, and uh, uh, you know, and I think maybe if you're the NHL, you'd love to see Jack Hughes as a New York Ranger or something. I mean, you would like to have him in a really not that Detroit wouldn't be a big market. No, Obviously, it's a, a huge, huge hockey market, but but I think let's put it this way, and I have nothing against Canada. Obviously, I love it, but. McDavid in Edmonton, Austin Matthews in uh, in Toronto, and Jack Eichel in Buffalo, but that's almost Canada. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I think I think the league would like to have maybe Jack Hughes play for an American-based franchise. Well, I mean, I you know I don't think they would ever say that, but um, you know, I mean, you're still you're still trying to grow the game, and you know what, you're not there's nowhere to go in Canada. I mean, that's as big as it's going to get. <laughs> right. So, but you're still trying to grow it in America, and. You know, you're still trailing the other sports. And so, you know, if you got him, you know, again, if he went to Arizona and he ended up being, you know, an Iserman or a a Patty Kane uh, type player, you know, that would help them. Uh, Imagine if Austin Matthews would have ended up in his native Arizona as opposed to Toronto. Like Toronto, he's a great player and he'll be part of a great franchise uh, tradition there. But, you know, he's not growing anything. In uh, in Toronto, where if he went in Arizona, he could have uh, you know transformed Arizona into a hockey uh, market. You know, you said something about being you know that the, that building through the draft or the draft is huge right now. People really pay attention to it. A lot of that probably has to do with a hard cap league, and that you really do have to build through the draft. Ken Holland, Red Wing general manager, has said that for the last several years. Actually, you know, you really have to know what you're doing, but. I'm going to, we'll skip that. We'll, we'll have you on again very, very soon because I, I, I want to move on because I do definitely want to get to the playoff preview and, and talk about the Red Wings a little bit. But it's also because of a hard cap league, and not that coaches aren't hired and fired all the time, but it just seems every time you turn around, somebody's being let go during the season, midseason, after the season. Is that kind of a, a result of a hard cap league where – Coaches don't have as much time, maybe even Mike Babcock, depending on what Toronto does this year. There's always speculation about his job, which you find hard to believe, or at least I do. But are you surprised at the number of coaches and coaching vacancies and Quinville's now going to um, uh, uh, Florida and uh, they think Todd McClellan might be the, uh, you know, the, I forgot. Kings me. or Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, the Kings or Buffalo. So how you, yeah. your take on all this well, coaching I mean, stuff. I, I think that, uh, first of all, it's shocking that the Florida Panthers would be willing to um, pay uh, uh, Quinville the $6 million that, you know, he gets for being Quinville and for having three Stanley Cup 
uh, rings. But it just goes to show you that, you know, they, they went with a guy without a pedigree and Bob Bugner, who Detroit fans know. He was drafted by the organization. He was well-known. He had coached in Windsor. Um, and uh, it didn't work out. So now they're going to go big, big name. And I think a lot of it is there's so much pressure on the general managers. And I agree, your leash is shorter. Like, if you're an owner, uh, and, uh, you know, when Jimmy Devolano came in to talk to Mike and Marion Illich so many years ago, he offered them an eight-year plan. Today, if you walked into an owner's office with an eight-year plan, he wouldn't even talk to you. He'd throw you right out the door. And even five is too long a time. Like, I, I, I think most plans now are three-year plans. They, you know, it's a parody league. You know, turn it around. And I think the mission for a general manager has changed. Like, you've got you've to transform this team on the fly. Like, not only, and Ron Hextall paid a price this year. He drafted really well. They had a lot of good young prospects. But he didn't do anything to help them now. You know, he didn't bring up Carter Hart. He didn't fix the goaltending problem. Uh, and so he was out. Because, you know, you got to do it all. Now, in the GM, you got to draft well. you got to have the prospects in the pipeline. You got, but you got to compete, like right now, because everybody's impatient. And I think that's the difference of why we see so many changes. Well, you know, real quickly with the Red Wings, they extended Jeff Blashland. Their thinking is, look, I mean, he's, again, for the third year in a row, he's, uh, the, he's going to coach Team uh, USA uh, in the world. Hopefully he doesn't do it next year because it means they'll be in the playoffs, the Red Wings. But, uh, and, and Ken Holland has been there. Detroit has been pretty stable organization with their high-level guys and then also in the coaching fraternity. Um, I am kind of curious, is Detroit – always going against the norm or is, is is that just because they are a stable organization well i mean i i think around the league blashill's reputation is quite strong like i think it's john cooper-esque mm -hmm. he just doesn't have the success or the horses you know to do that but i think people equate blashill as being you know cut from the same cloth uh, a very modern coach who uh you know can be tough enough and get on some players but also knows how to communicate uh if you look at what the Red Wings are about now. It's developing young talent. They're, they're four key players. Anthony Mantha, Dylan Larkin, uh, Anthony Siu, and Bertuzzi have all progressed nicely under Blashell. And you really can't ask for more than that. I mean, those four players all were milestone players this year. They all you know scored 20 or more or 30 or more. And at the end, like the Red Wings were a one-line team. And you know those, these were all young players that... The charge for Blasha was to make them better, and guess what? They're better, and they're they're big time players. So you know he lived up to what he was asked to do. So he was very deserving, in my opinion, of that of that uh, two year extension. Extension. Well, it was explained to me by one Red Wing official. Why would we groom one of the best young coaches in hockey to let him go so he can go to another organization and turn them around, make them great? You know, I yeah. mean, use all his skills or what he learned. Because he still, he, Jeff will admit, he had a, a learning curve too yeah, once you become sure. a pro coach. And, you know, so it's a little bit different. You're dealing with professional athletes, you know, guys of all ages, not in the colleges anymore where they're a certain age from, what, 17 to 22 or whatever. But uh, your thoughts on, on the Red Wings season? I mean, they... They had, I guess, one more point or one more win, but, you know, and they, instead of finishing fifth overall with the worst record, they finished fourth, but a good year because they seemed to have a definitive number one line, 
with Larkin, Bertuzzi, and Mantha. Athanasiu seems to be, have adopted pretty well as a second-line center. Um, they have a bunch of forwards already. People expect Zadina to make the team. Again, defense might be their uh, Achilles heel at this point, but overall, are you encouraged by what you saw this year? Yeah, I mean, I think for the Red Wings, the key for me in watching that organization was the optics were good. Like, you know, we didn't see the results, but they were far more competitive. They were very entertaining. Like, this was a very entertaining season. When you watch the Red Wings, they were in every game. And you could see that, um, you know, Dylan Larkin, uh, you know, he just he set the tone in terms of his high level of competitiveness. And you started to see it. Like, I, I thought Mantha um, became more competitive. And I think a lot of it had to do with the tone that uh, Larkin set. And I think Anthony Siu is another guy that I think he's been helped by, uh, you know, the leadership that Larkin showed in terms of the work ethic and the way he flies around the ice and, you know, the way he steps up in big moments. Like, we saw the number of overtime goals he had. We saw the number of times where he scored scored big goals late and made the team more competitive. Um, and there were small things, too, like uh, Hronik, um, you know, showed to me that he'll play in the league. Um, you know, I think there's still question about whether he can play against top players because he has not improved defensively. But, you know, he can move the puck. This is a league where speed and offense now matters more than it did five or six years ago. For that reason, he's going to play. And so now, okay, we're, we're check that box off. we got one guy we know is going to play in that top six, you know, with this group. I think he fits well with this group. And, you know, Bertuzzi, I, I, you know, the grit, the fire, you need that guy to play in the top six. Who's the guy that is going to be mouthy at the end of every scrum? Well, it's going to be Bertuzzi. And, uh, and, you know, and I think you need that edginess to it. So I saw a lot where I thought um, this team, you know, made strides. And then, you know, you're starting to hear things. Like Valeno looks like he's going to be a player. Everybody's talking about um, him down in the Quebec League. Uh, we don't know how much he'll score, but we know he's going to play in the league. That's what everybody says. Right. And, um, you know, the goalie. Um, Philip Denver, Larson. Philip Larson in Denver. Uh, best goalie in college hockey. Uh, the, the word around the... Uh, the hockey world was that the Ravens going to sign him immediately and that he'll probably be in Grand Rapids. And I've had scouts who are unrelated to the Red Wings say, that kid may be ahead of the curve. Like usually with a goalie, he doesn't play until he's 25. You know, he might play when he's 23. Could be uh, a Carter Hart kind of Yes, thing. he could be. He's that good. He's cocky. He's very competitive. And, you know, so like I think in my mind, I see him as now becoming, you know, maybe in the top, three most important young players on the team. Um, just because, you know, if he's developing now, okay, now we've got the goalie to play with this group. Because that's one thing, Jimmy Howard's played well. But, you know, in dog years, he's about 100 years old. You know, <laughs> like, you know, he's he's not going to be the guy when Larkin and Bertuzzi and Mantha are moving into their prime. When you look at uh, this organization, and, you know, and I kind of paraphrased you over the season, I know at the beginning of the year you wrote, that Dylan Larkin is as important to the Red Wings as Connor McDavid is to Edmonton and and uh, Eichel is to Buffalo and Matthews is to Toronto. And then you talk to a couple of the Americans uh, in Eichel and Matthews, and Larkin has always been kind of like Steve Eiserman on the outside when you put him in the class with Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky or whatever. Right. And and but. They told you something about Larkin that we've always heard, 
and not to sell them short, I don't know, maybe I, I just, you know, can you say exactly well, what those guys were telling you? Well, essentially, even, those, even though those guys are bigger stars, like, they looked up to Larkin. Like, Larkin is the Pied Piper of the American program. And I, you know, a couple or three years ago, I wrote that the, the Americans will do well in the world championships when um, Dylan Larkin decides it's time to go over and try to win it. You know, a few years ago, Sidney Crosby was knocked out of the playoffs and said, you know, I think I'm going to go over and try to win a world championship. <laughs> so he got on the horn, called a bunch of guys, said, come and join me. And, and, you know, I think Larkin will do that. You know, Larkin may be doing that this year, you know, with Blaschel there. He has the ability to bring in the American players. There's a lot of respect for him. And I, I think he's, you know, he might be more important to the Red Wings than Austin Matthews is now to the Maple Leafs. That's not saying anything against Matthews because he's an unbelievable player and a, and a leader. But, you know, they've got John Tavares. Right. You know, so it's kind of a joint thing there. Um, but, you know, Dylan's the guy in Detroit. Like, like you know, I'm not going to, you know, we talked many, when he was even at Michigan, we talked about, you know, could he be a Steve Eisenman, you know. I think that's unfair. I mean, Eisenman is just so legendary. But, you know, he's going to be that type of player. Like, he's going to set the tone, and he's going to be the guy that everybody looks to when things are down. And, you know, he's proven he can do that. So When, uh, you know, the, he kind of brushed off yesterday was uh, on Monday on April 8th was locker clean-out day, and he talked. And, you know, the assumption is, and, and Jeff Blaschel wouldn't, wouldn't commit, and Ken Holland sort of committed that it looks like the Red Wings are going to have a captain next year. They went with three alternates this year. Larkin was one of them. At, for home games, he wore the A, and Franz Nielsen wore, wore the A uh, on, uh, on road games. And then, of course, uh, Justin Abdicator and Nicholas Cromwell have been assistants or alternates, I guess is the proper term, for the, you know, since I can remember. But that they're going to name one. He doesn't seem, not that he wouldn't take it, but he pretty much said, in today's hockey, maybe, and I asked him, uh, do we overblow wearing the C that much? Or does a team need a definitive bottom line leader who makes all the decisions? He thinks not, yet he's going to be in that position, I think, next year. <laughs> well, I think so, uh, number one, and I'll commit. I'll commit to Larkin be the Red Wings <laughs> You and Thomas Vanek. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like, you know, I remember talking to players through the years prior to them um, getting the C. Uh, Sidney Crosby is one that comes to mind. And, you know, they say the same thing. I don't need a C to be a leader. And that's true. You know, Larkin was the captain of this team this year. Everybody knew it. He just wasn't wearing a C. Right. But, you know, is there any doubt that this was Dylan Larkin's team? I, there's no doubt. Nobody right. thought that this was Mike Green's team. I, Mike Green is an exceptional player, and they were a completely different team when he wasn't in the lineup. Right. They need Mike Green. Like, right. he, he's found a home here. He likes it here. They, you know, it would be great if he could be part of this as they move forward. But it wasn't Mike Green's team, you know. It wasn't Jimmy Howard's team. It was Dylan Larkin's team. And so, you know, like next year, and everybody knows and everybody understands, and I think he'll, he'll be the captain. And, you know, he's just being humble because that's who he is. But he wants it. You know, he, he wants to be successful. You know, he was born and raised here. You know, he knows the Eisenman aura. You know, like I, I, I think it's just going to make him stronger. I think it'll make him beastly. You know what he's wearing at, see? Like, uh, yeah, he's already beastly. 
Yeah, he. Uh, it, it's funny when you talk about all you have to do is look at what happened. Uh, the fundraiser for Jim Johansson. Yeah. Where he he brought Patrick Kane in. I mean, yeah. he he was able, as you said, he gets on the phone and these guys respond to him. They do, and um, you know the fact that veterans Parisi was here, Ryan Suter was here. Now these are guys that all love Jimmy Johansson, but. You know, it was Larkin that organized all that. You know, he got on the phone, he made calls, and there were some guys that said, you know, boy, it was hard. I had to move mountains. You know, I had a schedule I was working with in terms of my fitness, but, you know, Larkin said we all get to get here, and we did. You know, so, and, uh, I, you know, I don't think you can uh, oversell that. I think it was very important. I know some of the guys, uh, and I've talked to guys that that said it was big what Larkin pulled off, and I know USA Hockey was so impressed that, you know, it, you know they said, you know, there's someone said, well, I heard so and so is not coming to Larkin, so let me call him, you know, and then he just would get on the phone, and, uh, um, you know, uh, they would show up, and that younger group, you know, the Seth Jones, Warenka guys, the Austin Matthews, like Eichel. Eichel's a very good friend of, of Larkin's, and they do really do. Like Austin Matthews and Eichel, two guys who, you know, don't, uh, you know, have their own followings and, and their own leadership, but they really do look up to him. And I think most of the people in the U.S. organization um, do do that. You know, I, what I think, and we'll get off because, you know, I can go on a Larkin love fest here, and I yeah, won't. me too. But the thing about him that you can't teach, I don't think, and this might come from his parents, whom I've gotten to know, and both wonderful people, uh, he has a sense of community. You know, he, he knows that whatever he does, there's something much bigger out there, and it doesn't really have to do with hockey. It has to do with just being a good citizen, and he has it at 22. He really does. Um, you know, the fact that he chose to go uh, the, uh, you know, the college route and, uh, you know, liked Red Barons and, and, you know, put up that, uh, you know, the gruffness because he knew he'd be a better player. But, you know, that's the thing that I think makes Larkin, like, doubly fascinating, if we can use that. Because, you know, when you look at the captains around the league, um, you know, Stamkos was not born and raised in Tampa. Um, you know, Sidney Crosby was not born and raised in Pittsburgh. Dylan Larkin's a Detroiter, you know. Mm -hmm. He's from here. And so not only is he the captain of this team, but, you know, as you said, he has a sense. Like, he belongs here. He lives here. You know, these are his people. The fan base, you know, he can relate to them. Like, right. you know, they're all people that, you know, he knows what's going on in this state. You know, he's, he's watched it. He's a young man. But, you know, for as long as he can remember, he's kind of followed what's happened with the Red Wings. He knows the history, you know. And I think it does make a big difference. And I asked him about that. And, you know, just as, he, as, as you know, he's apt to do, he, he sort of dismissed that. Right. Of, you, know, if it's, it's, you know, you're just looking at the team. You're thinking about your teammates and your guys. But you know he thinks about it um, because, as you said, he was brought up right. Um, you know, he kind of knows that, and he has a real sense of uh, what's going on out in the community. Well, I told him one time, and, you know, this is, I don't even know if I should be sharing this, but I told him that, because he's, you know, he's a bit of a Michigan freak like, like I am, like, you know, kind of you are at times too, Kevin, and I told him that Bo Schembechler would have loved him as a player, 
because he personifies the team, the team, the team, in that I, I told him that Bo would have been talking to Red all the time. You know, I think Larkin can play football too. I think he can do both sports. And, you know, he just laughed, but you could tell that he was kind of into it too, you know, when you bring up Bo and said, but, but that's how he is. I mean, he is just, uh, he's no nonsense, but he, there is a side of him, and I think as he gets older and, you know, gets more comfortable in his role, uh, not that he isn't comfortable now. I think we're going to see a side of him that is a little more, you know, busting chops and joking around a little bit. I think more of that side of his personality will come out because it's the, definitely there. Yeah, I think Larkin could have played Wolfman for either Bo or Carr. Oh, yeah. You know, kind of the the Dufek role. Right, right, you know, right. Undersized for a for a monster linebacker, but, you know, you know, not quick enough for a corner, so you you create this kind of hybrid position like they did with Dufek. Right, you'd always there. know when he was on the field because he'd always be making plays. Right, yeah, he was playing, and that's what Larkin would be. He'd use the speed right. and he'd make plays, and, you know, that was the big difference in his game this year is, uh, you know, the ability to use that speed and intimidate and, um, you know, to create things and create energy. Like, you know, there was a sense of... Um, like they fed off his speed. Like he'd get the the puck, and and now he'd loop with purpose. And his first years, you know, he'd make those big loops, but he wasn't sure what he was going to do when he got to the end of the thing, of the big circle and everything else. Well, now he knows what he's going to do. Well, one of so. my favorite quotes after is he told me, yeah, you know. I finally figured out, it was during his second season, that I could skate on the perimeter all I want, you know? Right. And, and you're right. And that goes back to, he's not quite sure what he's going to do with it, but he's out there. He goes, because those defensemen are going to let me stand out yeah. there all the time. Yeah, that's right. He's not doing no harm out there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, hey, I'll give you a 9-8 on that. Uh, right. You know, yeah, you're, you're, right. you're skating really well. You look great. But uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, guess but, the puck's not in our net, so. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. So until you come in my little house in here, <laughs> right, I'm not going right, to worry about you. Right. And, you know, he is a pretty quick study, and he does have the desire. Let's let's go on now because, you know, this has turned out to be, you know. But I think it's important for Red Wing fans to hear really about Dylan Larkin, obviously because you're right. I mean, he, he is the catalyst for this team. He is the engine. Even the veteran players would say, whether Cromwell or Nielsen, Vanek, He's our best player. He's our best player. I mean, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many of those guys constantly said that all year. And, you know, and, and it holds true. 73 points. He got 15 points, I believe, on the power play this year. He wanted to improve on that. He still wants to get in that 80-point range consistently year in and year out. And I, I think he's well on his way. But, uh, we'll, uh, you know, when the world's – and actually, Larkin's not sure if he's going to play this year because he's had a few injuries. Right. So he's gonna. He wants to play, and I. But he's gonna just see. His body's gonna tell him yes or no because his mind is telling him yes. Right, but yeah. but we'll see. So uh, um, let's get into the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, I, I know I'm name dropping as I usually do, but uh, talking to Scotty Bowman when Ted Lindsay passed away, I did a podcast with Scotty because I wanted to. Someone who recalled Ted as a player actually saw him play, and certainly Scotty did. You know, he had season tickets. He never missed a Red Wings Canadian game uh, back in the fifties, and uh, um, you know, he was talking about because he lives in Tampa. I said, "Well, how good's Tampa?" And you know, coming from Scotty, this is pretty high praise. He says the only team that's going to beat Tampa this year is Tampa. 
He said they're that good. But the statistic is, since 2005 and 06, the start of the league salary cap era, just two out of 13 President's Trophy winners have hoisted the cup. Four with the best regular season record have lost in the first round, and four more have lost in the second. Three of those have occurred in the last three years. The reason I'm saying it is, is because the Red Wings in 2005-06 lost in the first round, and then they're one of two teams that won the President's Trophy. The 2007-08 team won the Stanley Cup, as did the 2012-13 Chicago Blackhawks, who won the President's Trophy. They're the only two cup winners that have won, or have won the President's Trophy, they've won the cup, how difficult will it be for Tampa? And let's get into the preview. Their first round matchup is against the Columbus Blue Jackets, who, you know, kept Panarin, kept Bobowski, didn't make any moves, brought Duchesne in, brought Dezingle in, you know, Pan I mean, they, they're going for it, yet they draw Tampa in the first round. Yeah, I mean, they, there was no reward for them doing all that they did. Um, you know, they've just basically earned the right to be eliminated in the first round by um, the Lightning. But, you know, the, the difference with this. Uh, team is and and the comparison to certainly the um, the 62 win Red Wings of the mid 90s is apt um, and of course we know that Red Wing team didn't win the cup um, and but I, I also draw back to the 1970s when you had the eight loss uh, Montreal Canadiens yeah. who did win the cup and I think what's true of of this team you know that team is considered to be the maybe the greatest team ever that. Uh, uh, I forget what 76 77 um, team um, and if this lightning team runs the table as we expect it to and I don't think it'll be easy because I think the capitals are still good but um, I think they'll be known as one of the better teams too and I think that's that's the difference like we've had president's trophies winners but basically the lightning have just been super impressive the entire season there's no holes in their game I, I think one of the keys in my estimation is McDonough, um, who you know came over last season and then now has sort of assimilated uh, into that group, and I think he makes their defense much more stable. Um, they, but they were terrific in every category. A goal differential of over a hundred, um, the best power play in the league, the best penalty killing in the league, still a top ten defensive uh, uh, team, and a goaltender that might win the Vezina Trophy. Like, they don't have any weaknesses. And, uh, you know, the only thing is, is they've got the Washington Capitals, the team that won last year and has a swagger and has Ovechkin, um, you know, happen to be in the same conference. But this Lightning team, I, you know, I never pick a sweep because, you know, out of respect for this is the NHL. Right. But I picked a sweep in this first round. I, I just don't see Columbus being able to stay with them. In the regular season, they, Columbus was dominated by the Lightning. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I commend and applaud and, and stand and cheer that uh, Jarmo Kekalainen decided to go for it because now everybody just sort of embraces we're going to, you know, lose for Hughes. But, you know, he said, no, I'm going for it. But it just didn't help. The, the team just didn't seem to get better. Um, they were just almost the same team than before the big trades that brought in DeShane and Dezingle and so forth. So... I don't know. I, I think that's a real easy, it's almost a walkover for Lightning in this first round. Wow. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I've known you a long time, obviously. We're, we're, we're very good friends. And, yeah, I, I've never heard you speak with such bravado yeah, before, yeah, Kevin. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> the Lightning are so impressive. I, I, you know, and I just, you know, Scotty said it all. You know, they're 
such a good team that they can only beat themselves. And, you know, they got great coaching. John Cooper's a terrific coach. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's got Michigan roots. Yes, he does. For a while. And, uh, and uh, I just think that he's uh, a guy that knows how to get the most out of his players. And they, I think they've just kind of figured it out. And, you know, the, now they also have star power. Like Kucherov and Stamkos and Braden Point and Victor Hedman. Like, these are premium players at their position. And Vasilevsky. I remember... When Eisenman took him, he said, uh, you know, we think we, we took a goalie who someday will be in the top five goalies in the league. Well, he is. Right, and, so. he's, very, and he's very young. And, you know, obviously right. that was uh, with, the, uh, uh, with the pick, the 19th pick overall, I think it was in the first round with Vasilevsky, that they acquired from the Red Wings because the Red Wings, it was a three. Right. Colorado was involved in it too uh, to get Kyle Quincy. To, uh, yeah. to come back here, a guy that, you know, Red Wing fans lament, we could have we kept him. It came down to him and Darren uh, uh, Meech. And, uh, anyway, I'm not going to go back there. But, um, and real quickly, because we mentioned Tampa, you really have to tip your cap to Stevie, or Steve Eiserman for what he, you know, he's proven a couple of things that I wasn't quite sure, not that he wasn't capable of, but general managers would do. He's not gun shy. I mean, he... He makes deals. He makes trades. He, I, I think the way he built this team was pretty extraordinary. Well, for sure. I mean, and you know, I mentioned the McDonough trade. I right. mean, that was very indicative of the aggressiveness that Eiserman is. He's aggressive when he drafts. He surrounds himself with good uh, people. Um, you know, he understands the importance of the draft and and making sure that you uh, bring your prospects along in a timely fashion. I, I, I think he's a little bit different. You know, he learned in the Red Wings organization, but um, he, he, I don't, he didn't rush his prospects, but he was more aggressive in bringing them on. You know, the Red Wings uh, uh, historically have kept them in the minors. You know, uh, the Predators do the same thing. Um, they keep them there a lot longer, where I, I always felt that um, Eiserman was more aggressive than, than what he learned in Detroit. Well, part of that could be is that, you know, when he was up in Port Huron, his first Red Wings training camp, he thought he was going back to Peterborough. He had to be told, you're the best player. So, you know, he yeah. played at the league in 18. So maybe he, maybe he thinks, hey, some, and I, you, know, you never should get in anybody's mind. Well, let's see what he can do. You know, let's just right. bring him up because we can always send him back. I mean, you know, I, I know that obviously there's options after a while, but when you're looking at guys, guys that young, uh, I, I think we're both under the impression that uh, uh, that Steve is still going back to Detroit in some capacity, not as general manager. I mean, we've talked about it before. I know there's circulations about the Rangers, and you know he's a hot commodity, but. Uh, you know, I would be, you know, fans want to know. Yeah. What, what do you think, Kevin? I mean, what, well, how's I mean, this going to play know, out? The engine has been purring along that it was going to drive him back to Detroit, and now someone in New York took a giant monkey wrench and threw it right in the engine, and now it's going to start sputter, clang, clang, clang. Because we, you know, I don't know what to make of that. I, you know, I, I thought Steve certainly explained why he wanted to come back to Detroit. Uh, it was family reasons. He was a little weary of the commuting. Um, and yet we're hearing um, that uh, he is at least going to listen to the Rangers. Now, is, he, is that true, number one? Right. And secondly, is he just, you know, because it's the Rangers, you have to listen because they might offer you a billion dollars? Right, that could know? be, yes. Yeah, or, 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 
you know, or you know, what's the situation? I, I'm I'm very surprised at this, so I'm not really sure. I just assumed all along, as a lot of people around the league were, that uh, he would rejoin the Red Wings organization. He would work with his good friend um, Ken Holland, uh, and then he would just sort of bide his time. He's ten years younger than Ken Holland, and at some point, Ken will have to retire. I know he said. He was going to try to do this till he was 100 years old. Or I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm paraphrasing. But, 20, 34, <laughs> I think. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm paraphrasing. but uh, So I, I don't know. But, I, you know, I, I don't think anyone has got a good read on this. And, you know, who knows? Like, um, you know, maybe that, you know, you know, do the Rangers, would they like to have Steve Eisenman? Well, of course. Yeah. But, you know, maybe it's really not all that uh, close and they just threw his name out, you know out of respect to what he's accomplished in Tampa Bay. Right, and that, you know, you throw Steve Eiserman's name out with the rabid Ranger fan base, I mean, that uh, that kind of quells him for a while. Well, it, it does. I mean, the, the, you know, there are people excited about that. The idea of uh, perhaps getting Steve Eiserman is, uh, you know, he's, you know, for a guy that hasn't won the cup yet, he's got an incredible reputation. I mean, as a manager, I right. would say more cups as Blair. Certainly. Let's, uh, well, let's move on. The Boston Bruins versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, uh, you know, Toronto, I can remember at the start of the year, the Toronto media, they're going to score 400 goals. They're going to have over 200 power play goals. This team is unstoppable. Uh, I don't know if they've stopped themselves or what exactly is going on. I'm reading reports that depending on how this first round plays out, even though Mike Babcock signed a seven-year deal, who knows what's going to happen with Babs. Yet, everybody, everything I talk to seems to think Boston's just better. They're better defensively, and they're going to win this first round series. How do you see it shaking well, out? Well, I mean, that's the way it looks to me. I mean, the Bruins have been consistently good. They're almost a trendy pick even to you know, be a team that the, even the Lightning should be fearful of. Um, you know, this has been a, a year when we've reconfirmed that Patrice Bergeron is a superstar. Right. Um, you know, they've got a 100-year-old uh, Zdena Char still playing well on defense. They've got young McAvoy. Uh, you know, Marchant is just concentrating on hockey and staying out of the headlines. Hasn't licked any faces lately. Yeah, no. It's, it's all been good. And they're a really good team, and I think they're a strong contender. Meanwhile, you know, the Maple Leafs, they just haven't gotten any better defensively. Not, not whatsoever. And what's remarkable about that is we know Babcock can teach defense, and I'm shocked that he hasn't uh, uh, been able to convince this team to um, have a better attitude about playing defense. And, you know, I remember covering the Oilers in the 1980s, and you know, they weren't a great defensive team either. But come playoff time... They knew how to do it. Right, like, right. You know, they would just play a little more conservatively and everybody would. But the, the Maple Leafs don't seem to be able to do that. Uh, we've seen no indication, um, even after they added Muzzin, that they're um, able or willing to, to play a strong defensive game. I, you know, down the stretch I'd watch and, you know, they'd give up five goals and six goals. And, uh, you know, they're just sloppy. They're, they're, they might have been the sloppiest defensive team I said. I've seen all year. You know, looking at Mike Babcock, you would think he would be used to the pressure since he coached Canadians, Canada's Olympic team and you right. know won gold medals. But every time I turn around, oh, he doesn't get along with Dubas, or he and Matthews got this, or boom, boom, boom. You know, and but that's Toronto. I mean, that right. that's going to happen. So I, I guess my point being is that, yeah, you know, it comes with the territory, and, and Mike Mike knows that, as I said. But 
Would you be shocked if the Maple Leafs do something with the coaching position? Yeah, I would be. I, you know, he still has so much money left on the contract, and I get that they're printing money in the basement there. But um, you know, you, you you know, you can't let him go out the door owing him you know thirty five million dollars. Like you got to be somewhat fiscally responsible. I mean, don't isn't the teachers pension fund like part owner of that? <laughs> Team yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly, but you know, I, that would just be irresponsible. And look, Mike Babcock didn't forget how to coach. Uh, you know, there's obviously just something fundamentally wrong with the personnel there, and you know, they're going to have to fix it. I mean, you know, part of it w- will be resolved. I mean, Gardner probably is going to go elsewhere. He's not a strong defensive player, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Um, you know, they've got some younger guys that are going to come up. Some of it may fix itself uh, as they move forward. I mean, I mean, up front, like, they're, you know, Tavares and Matthews and, like, Mitch Marner, like, yeah. you, know, he's, uh, you know, he's better than people thought he was going to be. I mean, so they've got a lot going uh, well up front. And Anderson's a terrific goalie. Like, they're, they're close. Like, if they could fix their defense, now saying that, I mean, we've been saying about that about right. the Edmonton Oilers for you know, a dozen years, and they haven't been able to fix anything on their defense. So. When uh, do you see Boston then eliminating yes. Toronto? Yes, for sure. Yeah. All right. What uh, care to say? Do you think it? I, I've heard everywhere from it's going to go four, seven games again, or that. Well, Boston's I mean, out, out of run. respect to the fact that Babcock knows what he's doing, you know, I would say it'll be five or six games. Um, you know, for sure. I, this isn't going to be a sweep, and you know, it's too good a team, like. You know, could Toronto upset them? Yeah, of course they could. There's a lot of talent on that team, but I, I just don't think it's going to happen. Uh, up next uh, in the Eastern Conference, the Washington Capitals against a very surprised team, the Carolina Hurricanes, uh, where I believe now Peter Morazek is their number yeah, one yeah, goalie. Yeah. So uh, uh, Carolina, I mean, this is a team that you got to tip your cap to Rod Brindamore, a former Spartan. I mean, they're good offensively, and they can shut you down. I mean, this is a team that is, I think if people don't know them, you're going to find out about them in a hurry. Yeah, no, I, I like this team. I'm bush on it. And, uh, you know, I give some credit to Don Waddell, the native Detroiter. Right, definitely. The GM who's made some bold trades and um, got this team kind of squared away. Uh, and uh, I like this team. I, I just think it's their misfortune to go against the Caps. And the only, the only negative for the Caps is Michael Kempney, who I thought was a missing piece acquisition last year, really solidified their defense. He's out, and so he won't be able to play. But, you know, Jensen, the, right. that they got from the Red Wings, has stepped in and uh, uh, played well for them. So, I mean, we'll see how far, but I, I, I think the Capitals are still the Capitals. And, you know, it was only 10 months ago when they were, uh, you know, doing keg stands. So they, uh, <laughs> they know what they're doing. Uh, so you obviously Carolina might put up a battle, but you see why. Yeah, oh yeah, I, I see that. I you know I, I think it's possible we could see six lower seeds. As I said, uh, when uh, uh, it's possible they could win an upset, but I don't see Carolina as being one of those. Then we move to the uh, last series in the Eastern Conference. Uh, another surprise team, uh, the New York Islanders against I know a team that. Uh, uh, that you're very familiar with, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Last year, the Islanders allowed 293 goals. This year, a league low 191, and look no further than Barry Trotz. I yeah. mean, who led Washington to the cup? He beat, he figured out a system to slow Sid the Kid down, and Malkin and, you know, Kessel, I don't even think had a point against them. Could 
the Penguins be in trouble? Do you think that the Islanders, the upstart Islanders who play defense now, or do they not have enough offensively to, to challenge Pittsburgh? Well, I, I think, you know, I was so impressed with the Islanders early in the season. And, you know, when you watch what Trotz did in the island, I, I go back to why can't the Maple Leafs do that? Right, like, it's right. just attitude. You know, defense is attitude. Um, and, uh, but, you know, the Islanders have been a little blasé down the stretch. And they you know, haven't been the same team. And it's almost like the novelty's worn off a little bit. They haven't been able to maintain that edge. And, you know, the Penguins are still the Penguins. Like, those three guys, Malkin, Crosby, and Latang, have played more than 400 playoff games together. Like, they know what's what in the postseason. And, you know, they're highly competitive. And, they, you know, and you know Jim Rutherford changed up the, the, uh, the lower rungs of that team. The roster's completely different. They brought in guys like McCann and Bukestad. Um, they've changed up the defense a little bit. Um, I think Jack Johnson, he had kind of a rough start there, but I think he's found his place there as well. And I, I, I think they've freshened up the team enough to make themselves dangerous. I, I don't think they're a favorites, but I hate to, you know, can't believe I'm saying this, but they're almost a sleeper now. Like, no one's right. paying any attention to them. And they still got Crosby and Malkin as their top two centers. Like, right. you know, if they get, they turn it up and get going, they've got Matt Murray, who's won two cups. And Chris Letang can play 30 minutes a game in the postseason. I, I think the Penguins will win that series. And they're the lower seed, so that would technically be an upset. But I think most people are actually taking the Penguins in that series. All right, let's move to the Western Conference. I mean, I know we spent a lot of time, and I definitely want to uh, uh, do uh, get to everything and then ask you for some, uh, a few more predictions and right. some final thoughts. So uh, uh, let's go to the West. Nashville Predators. Versus the Dallas Stars, I have to admit, when I was in Vegas, uh, I put some money on some Stanley Cup things uh, before the season began. I picked Nashville to win the Cup, or the, and my sleeper pick, because I figured they're either going to be great or terrible, and unfortunately they were terrible, the L.A. Kings. Uh, so uh, I like Nashville, yet I was in Nashville. Uh, I, I saw them play, obviously, here in Detroit, and then I saw I was in Nashville for that series, too, as the Red Wings... Uh, father's trip, uh, and the Red Wings beat them. Uh, I can't figure them out. I, I'm not sure exactly what's going on. I know Pekka Rene is getting longer than the tooth, but, uh, you know, this is a team that, have they missed their window? Have they missed their opportunity? Because don't sleep on the Dallas Stars, because ever since Jim Lights, you know, kind of lit a fire under them, they've been a pretty different team, too. And Ben Bishop has revived himself. Well, Ben Bishop has got a sub-2... Uh, 0.00 goals against average, 9.37 save percentage. Like he's in the Vezina mix as well. I I think the Predators' problem is uh, their offense hasn't been any good. Like they've they're a one line team. Um, that number two line with Kyle Turris, and they brought in uh, Granlund and uh, um, uh, they brought in Simmons and he, right. they tried him, but you know he's now on the third line. Uh, so. I just don't think they score enough, but they still have the most talented defense. I mean, they got Subban and Yossi and uh, Eklund and Ryan Ellis. I mean, that's still that's good. I, I think that's the most talented defense in the in the game. And Rene, you know, still should be among the top five or six goalies in the league. If he's not, well, they're going to be in trouble. But that's true of every goalie. So I think they'll win that uh, um, series. But you know, I think it's going to be tight. I think it goes seven games. But, you know, the thing about the West, 
I think all eight teams have a chance to come out of there and be in the final. I, I really do think that this is totally wide open because the teams that are the most talented, Winnipeg being one of them, you know, they didn't play very well. Right. And, you know, the Predators should be there, but they've struggled a little bit too. They ended up winning their division. Um, and the Calgary Flames won their division, but, um, you know, they're not proven. I don't know if I believe in their goaltending. So. Right. Uh, I think it's wide open. Well, let's move on to uh, uh, the next contest we'll look at in the Western Conference. Winnipeg Jets versus very interesting team, the St. Louis Blues. I mean, they were sixth in the Central Division at 22-22-5. They had 49 points uh, at the All-Star Game. Then they went 23-6-4, 50 points, uh, you know, just on a roll. Uh, Jordan... Um, Binghamton, I believe is how he says his name. I could, uh, I, you know, 24 5 and 1, 927 save percentage, uh, leaves the NHL goals against 1.89. Where did this guy come from? I've never heard of him before, but obviously we were talking about Philip Larson for Red Wing fans. If you can, if you can catch a goal and catch fire, your team can be outstanding and. The Blues, and you, you mentioned it, Kevin, Winnipeg not playing well. This was a team a couple of months ago, I think maybe even six weeks ago, everyone's thinking, wow, the Jets could break the Canadian franchise drought for Stanley Cups. I mean, they should right. be right there. Well, they should be, but Bennington, you're right, is, uh, you know, he's helped to transform that team. But, you know, it's, and it's everything. They started to play better defensively. They got more timely goals, and it's almost like everybody just kind of woke up and the party started. And Ryan O'Reilly, you know. Ryan O'Reilly was the only player who has been going all year. Yeah, right, exactly. Like he was he was just strong right from the very beginning. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I think the Blues will win that series. Uh, I, I just have been very impressed with the way that the Blues have pulled themselves together when it really looked like they, you know, they were talking about rebuilding. There was talk about who was going to get traded. Thought it was going they were going to be sellers. Right? Yeah, 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 sellers, and then suddenly they're there, and, um, the only thing that's scary is, is boy, you know, the Jets are still a dynamic offense. Like, you know, Blake Wheeler, you know, can really, really skate. And, um, you know, they've got, you know, four or five guys up there that, you know, can, can catch fire. Uh, Kevin Connor, um, you know, there's just a lot of guys that uh, can score some goals. And um, I think, um, you know, uh, this is going to go seven games probably, but I think the Blues are going to win it. That's going to be a tough series. I mean, if you're Winnipeg, what do you do if you don't advance out of the first round? Because, again, conventional wisdom, and, you know, it changes, and it's a league of parity, as we've discussed. But if not now, when? You know, I mean, you really have to think, wow, well, this team is just is really yeah, right there. They really are. Um, you know, they need guys like Patrick Lean to get a little older probably. But, you know, the problem they run, they're into yeah, is, okay. I think, a uh, type. Tyler Myers is um, uh, going to be an unrestricted free agent, and uh, uh, you know they can't seem to get make peace with Jacob Truba, and uh, you know they thought he had uh, uh, perhaps um, maybe finally committed, but from what I'm hearing, you know now they're thinking they might have to trade him this summer. So now you could lose two guys off your defense, and you know we all know how. Um, you know, devastating could be for any defense to lose two guys. Well, I, you know, and this is not coming from the Red Wings. I want to, but 
anybody who has any kind of uh, place defense and has University of Michigan ties, like a Wierenski or a Truba, yeah. they, every, you know, oh, they want to come and play for the Red Wings. Well, I don't know if there is a player that does not want to play for their hometown team but or home state team, yet I'm not sure the Red Wings are in a position right now maybe to lure some really high-end talent or – Maybe if they're going to trade somebody, they're going to have to trade one of those four, and Larkin's untouchable, but uh, that we've talked about, maybe one of their four uh, uh, really high-end forwards. Yeah, but you know, that, I don't think that makes you further ahead because you know, you've got these four forwards now that's sort of your identity, and that's, that's who you are. And you know, if you give one of them up to you know, get a defenseman, then you know, you're not as whole. I mean, you know, what made the Red Wings the Red Wings down the stretch when everybody was... They were kind of fun to watch as they had that one dynamic line. So you don't want to break that up and do, you know, and what makes that line tough is that you can come back with Anthony Sioux, who's the fastest guy on the planet. Right. So I don't think they would do that. You think Anthony Sioux could beat uh, Connor McDavid in a race? I think it would be a heck of a race. Yeah. I really do. I, um, you know, yeah, I think so. I mean, I just, I think back to, like, Connor McDavid is fast. And what makes him special is, is he's fast with the puck. Um, and, you know, a lot of guys can just skate. But I remember uh, two years ago, Nick Letty and the U- famous YouTube, Nick Letty caught Connor McDavid from behind. Um, it was all over YouTube. Um, I'd never seen anybody catch Anthony Seaver from behind. No, no. So, I mean, he makes everybody, he has, you know, the thing that makes him great as such a great skater is that he's at full acceleration, second stride, yeah. which is really tough to do. And he keeps, has guys are on their skate heels when he's out there on the ice. Uh, let's go to a team that uh, maybe they will be the team that ends the Canadian franchise's drought with the Stanley Cup. What is it, 94 or something with Montreal? Montreal, 93. Yeah. 93 was the last time. Calgary Flames versus the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, Colorado... I don't care what they do in the playoffs. If they get the number one pick, if they get Hughes, they, they get Ottawa's pick, they're, they're going to be celebrating no matter what. But I, I don't know how you cannot go with the Flames in this. Yeah, I, I took the Flames, although I, you know, I, I don't know that I trust their goaltending. I don't even know who their goaltending is. Because well, that's true. It's, it's really sort of a difficult situation. Will they you know, go with the veteran and Smith? or uh, you know, uh, I, I just think... Uh, you know, I'd be more comfortable if they had a guy that, you know, was more proven. But I, but I like that team. Johnny Goudreau is a uh, in, inspirational player. I think he gets everybody moving. Um, and he's very dynamic. And, you know, the defense, Giordano, is probably going to win the Norris Trophy. Uh, that defense there is, uh, you know, probably underrated. Uh, you know, if you start talking the top defensive groups in the league, you know, they're right up there in the top three or four. Uh, so, Colorado win a game or? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, Colorado. I mean, Nathan McKinnon's a super player, and uh, you know they really pulled it together. If you look at, I think they were seven one and two in their last ten. Like they were playing well. Like this is going to be not an easy series. Like I, I think it'll go six games. Now a, a team that I like, uh, the San Jose Sharks versus the Vegas Golden Knights, the two and three teams in the Pacific. Kind of like a Boston, same thing last year, I think, happened. You know, Boston-Toronto series. Uh, uh, the um, Golden Knights 
have been a different team since Mark Stone arrived. Oh, for sure. And you know, he, if you you know, if he was buried in Ottawa, even though people that follow the league knew he was a great player, I think you he said a little bit of a coming out party here with with the Golden Knights. The thing I like about the Golden Knights, Florida didn't have the greatest year. They just seem to have an ability to be in every game, no matter what the score is, and they just pour it on at, at the end of a game where. You know, they're just difficult to put away, I guess, is, is my point. But then San Jose, you know, they make they get Nyquist. You know, they're they're also a very good team. I'm having a tough time figuring out how this is going to ha- fall out. Yeah, I'm going with Vegas simply because the Sharks have the worst uh, save percentage in the NHL. And um, they just don't seem to be able to keep the puck out of their net. And, um, you know, it's partly goaltending, partly defensive sloppiness they score a lot of goals but we all know the playoffs is about defense and I just think Fleury um, you know despite the fact that you know you're right he didn't have his best season um, he's still uh, playing at a higher level than Martin Jones and I, I just think that will be the key uh, you know they just the Sharks won't be able to score as much against that Vegas defense and Fleury as they have Kevin, we'll, we'll keep going on, uh, but real quickly, I, I'm going to ask you in the Eastern Conference, who do you think comes out, and then who is the dark horse candidate in the East? Okay, I, I like Tampa Bay for sure, and then I think the dark horse candidate, uh, uh, they're the Penguins. I really think that no one's paying attention to them, and you know, they've, they've played pretty well just to get in the playoffs. They, were, they didn't have Malkin, they didn't have uh, Latang down the stretch, and yet they found a way to... You know, get in the playoffs and play pretty well. Now those guys are back. The West, the uh, who's coming out of the West and who's the dark horse candidate? Well, I'm taking there. a real surprise team because nobody's taking them because they haven't played well. But I'm going to go with the Predators based on their defense. Really? Yeah, and just I think it's wide open, and I think they've learned something by playing as well as they did, you know, two years ago. Um, and but my sleeper is the Flames. Um, a lot of people are taking the Jets, and they're very talented, but. I think the Flames, uh, if their goaltending comes together, I don't trust it, but if it comes together, they're a pretty strong team. Well, I'm not going to ask you about the final when it's all, but when it's all said and done, is Tampa going to yes. be the third President's Trophy winner yeah, to hoist the Stanley Cup? You know, I took them in September. I'm taking them now. I, you know, as I said, I, they just have all of the elements uh, to be successful. All right, Kevin. One final question that I that. Uh, there is some talk that I guess it's not going to change that this playoff format they should seed them just one through eight and just let it fall. These divisional things, you, that's why you have Toronto and uh, uh, Boston playing, and they're both you know you're going to have some very good high point hockey teams out in the first round, which doesn't seem fair. Which almost makes the 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 argument is. Well, you know, almost invalid then. You know, these guys fight like hell for playoff position, but it really doesn't matter uh, come playoff time. Uh, where do you stand? Well, I like to see a change. I, I, you know, we did a thing at USA Today where we rules that we thought fans would like to see, and that was one of them, that we felt it should be 1-16, to 16, um, which would make, um, you know, your regular season far more important because if you were the number one seed in the league, you got the 16 team. And, uh, you know, that, that's a big deal. Now, the problem with that is travel. And we talked about it in both the NHL and the NBA. And we quoted an NBA co- coach saying, you know, the travel's not that big a deal. He said, you know, they just say that all the time. But he said, you know, we travel um, 
uh, you know, under luxury conditions, and we stay in, you know, it's not that big a deal. Yeah, they're not, they're not going by Pony Express no, or something. No, no, no. <laughs> now, I, I, would, I, I would say, just knowing my guys in the NHL, <laughs> that they won't feel that way, that, you know, they will somehow say, you know, because we, no one complains more than hockey uh, people about, you know, playing two nights and three days and, you know, they all, it really ticks the old guys off because, you know, they always say, God, I loved it when we played back-to-back games. It meant there was no practice. You know, we just got to play games. And, you know, and I've heard guys say to me, he says, you know, I go along with it. But he said, you know, I, I play 15 minutes a night. You know, it's not like, you know, uh, you know, I can't get it together. But, you know, saying all that, I, I don't see there going to be any change. I don't sense there's any appetite for changing. They, people think the people, the people within the league, the... And the teams think that this system is working fine. So, will, will you be working 100 days in a row here now with the playoffs uh, Well, start? for sure I will be. Um, you know, we, we don't, in the old days, I would travel all four rounds and do 28 games. Uh, that's not the way we do it anymore. But I'll be on the road for, you know, I'll for sure see every game in the conference finals and finals. Um, but we're going to pick and choose in the first two rounds. All right, Kevin uh, Allen from USA Today, Hockey Hall of Fame writer. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll have you on. We're going to preview the World Championships and the draft and all that kind Sounds of stuff. Good. So we'll do it. I know. I know. Red Wing fans are saying, well, ask them who the, who the Red Wings going to get then. Who are they going to take? We don't even know where they're going to draft yet. So uh, I'll hold off on that. Kevin, you know, it's always a pleasure. I love visiting with you, and uh, thank you so much. Thank you.